was that your aspiration to pastor? Never. Going through school? Everything you have heard about a preacher's kid, I was dead. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was all of those things. I'm breaking curfews, suspended, uh, stealing my father's car, crashing the car, sneaking girls in the house. I was the PK your mother warned you about. I'm friend. that guy. How to beat the track. Welcome back to How to Beat the Trap. And guess what? I got the man in the building today. The man under the big man. I'll take it. My pastor, Jamal, Dr. Jamal Bryant. Thank in the you, building. brother. I'm glad to be here. I finally made it. He made it. He made it I'm to the, the trap. Through the trap and to the trap. Listen. Listen. So, so Dr. Um, pastor Bryant, the trap we define is... Um, a program or system designed to entice or entangle you, but secretly for the benefit of another. Yes. And so I've been bringing on amazing overachievers, uh, blessed people, entrepreneurs and influencers um, who have been able to circumvent, beat, or plow through some of America's most infamous traps. Yes. Such as the college trap. Yep. The corporate trap. Yep. The corner trap. Yep. Or the culture trap. And so today we're going to we're going to get blessed by you, um, hear more of your story, your journey, yep. and um, how you've been able to maneuver through these traps in life. Yep. Uh, and family, we're going to tap into it. One of the one of the brightest men I know, uh, one of my spiritual mentors, a man who blessed the grounds of the building that we're sitting in today, the Black House, and again my pastor in real life. So, all right, Pastor Bryant, what we do here is instead of plowing through the trap, yeah, we're going to pull up to it. I want to hear more, and I'm going to give it to you to talk about your story, not your your, your, your upbringing, but who you are today, what yep. you do, yep. pastor of new birth, and everything yep. else you do in activism yep. and ministry, and then we're going to reverse engineer and start from the beginning all right. of, 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 of how all that took place and how that transpired and how you got there. So if you will, for our audience, please tell them um, just about, you know, who is uh, Dr. Pastor Jamal East Bryant. Thank you. First, I am uh, glad to be here in your words in real life. Yes, sir. Uh, I'm glad uh, I finally made it. And uh, I am a varied uh, goulash gumbo. Uh, you are. <laughs> I'm uh, iced tea and lemonade. I'm half and half uh, saved and sinner uh, all in one. Uh, I uh, pastored the New Birth Cathedral in Stonecrest, Georgia. I have been here for two and a half years. Uh, but I am uh, from uh, Baltimore, mm -hmm. uh, which is probably the only tougher city than Newark, New Jersey. So uh, that, that's that 30,000 feet in the air. I don't know how much further you right. want me to go, uh, but that's who I am. All right. Yeah. So, so um, and I was there when you came down and passed in a church uh, in, in Baltimore. Yes. I, I think we got to say that outside of just pastoring that you are also – um, a revolutionary, I would say yeah. a revolutionary pastor. I'll take it. An activist. Yes. Um, are you an author as well? I am. I have so, uh, five books. Five yeah. of them things. I got four. I'm trying to catch you. Well, you listen, you got to buy one of them. <laughs> That's a fact. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I got that. I'm going to buy two. Yeah, I'm going to double you. up on you. I'm going to double up and buy two. Yeah, no, we, uh, I wrote a book called World War Me uh, that uh, won the uh, African American Literary Award. Uh, a couple of years ago, I sold uh, 100,000 copies wow. uh, independent uh, without a publisher. Uh, so I'm very proud of that. It still stays uh, 
in uh, top sellers on Amazon. So those of you who, like Jay, have never read my book, <laughs> I ask that you please go pick it up. Right. Don't get caught in the book trap, the, yes. the literary trap. <laughs> yes. All right. So outside of that, um, I would also define you as um, – one of the best dressed, most fashionable Listen, pastors in these streets. It was, you done brought it here. So let me tell you what happened. <laughs> Jay got a plug in the Ghana that he's not even going to talk about right here. But he, he, I don't know where he's getting them from. He done left me in the West End. <laughs> uh, but he done got shipments coming in from Ghana. Even in COVID-19, <laughs> you ain't never going to see him in the same thing twice. And, uh, <laughs> He was flossing so hard that he tried to challenge me to an African dress-off, and it wasn't even Kwanzaa. <laughs> His wife was there, so I bowed out gracefully. But for the thank record, you. thank you for the grace. We, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. He got me up against the roots, <laughs> but as soon as I find the plug, I'm coming back. Yeah, no, I'm grateful. Um, I'm only same clothes for days in the trap, man. Yes. I'm up same clothes for days. Yes. Um, now. Uh, what has inspired you to be so uh, vocal um, and prolific even in, in activism? A lot of times in, in ministry and in church, yeah. we're just used to just spiritual talk from our spiritual leaders. Yes. Um, but you're very active in our community regarding political and social justice, economic justice. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're always preaching and teaching. We're right. always talking about entrepreneurship. Um, you know, I'm, uh, I'm fighting Jay up against a... Uh, a plexiglass wall um, that I really feel an obligation to be involved. And uh, when I tell you why, uh, it's, it's really gonna blow your mind, is for two reasons. The Black Lives Matter movement, Jay, is the very first civil rights movement that was not birthed out of the church. Mm. Number two, the Black Lives Matter movement is the very first movement for black people in America not led by a religious figure. Mm. So what has happened in the Black Lives Matter movement, the church does not know how to support what it doesn't lead. So when the church is not up front. Trap bars. <laughs> That's a trap bar. Yeah, when, when the church is not up front, then we roll over to the side. Mm. And so an entire generation feels like the church is irrelevant, is disconnected, has become elitist, is aloof, and it's sanitized. Mm. Uh, so I go to different cities in uh, one way because that's where my heart is, but I never wanted said the church wasn't there. Right. Uh, so just last so week- you got the whole church on your back. Oh yeah. yeah. So just last week, I was at Howard University where the students are outside protesting um, because they have uh, inhumane housing. They have a lack of housing. They've been sitting out in tents for a week, mm. uh, have been oppressed by campus police so I came, Jay, for three days just to feed them, uh, just to go hang out with them, uh, just again, so that the church could be present. Mm. The second reason why I am uh, committed uh, to being involved is there is a changing of the guard with no bench. This is, if you are on the trap right now, you are a critical thinker. There's no way you are lined up to my brother and you're not thinking radically. And so one of the things I need you to think about is Al Sharpton is 67. Jesse Jackson is 80. The Honorable Louis Farrakhan is 83, mm -hmm. 84. Or more. He might be let's say 84. This is the oldest black leadership in our history. 
Uh, and so nobody is passing the baton to the next generation. Here I am, Jay, at 50, and they're calling me a young man. Wow. Look at Maxine Waters is 83. Wow. So <laughs> Jim Claiborne is 82. So those who are operating in leadership for our people should be in retirement. Right. And I don't mean that negatively. I'm not throwing shade. I'm saying historically, those who are coming out of the AUC, those out of North Carolina A&T, and those on the corner, there's not been a revolution that is not led by young people. Thanks. So the reason why we're not seeing revolution, but we're seeing really stagnation, is we've not made room for the next generation to come through. Mm. Uh, and so look at you and I are transplants to Atlanta, right? And uh, John Lewis, uh, rest in peace, died last year. And John Lewis died at 82, drum roll, with no successor. So the person who comes behind John Lewis in Congress is older than me. Mm. When John Lewis was a youth leader. So it's so critical that uh, uh, we galvanize uh, and mobilize. John Maxwell said, there's no success without a successor. So if you're not training somebody to take your place, then you're already failing. Wow. Uh, and so I'm really out here uh, to do two things. One, uh, so that this generation knows the church sees them, hears them, feels them, and is walking with them. Uh, and two, uh, to sound the alarm that we've got a responsibility to uh, lift up another generation to take over, not to intern. Well, you know, it's interesting because that's sound uh not just business practices, yes. right? Having a, a successor yes. and, and a legacy plan, yes. But it, it sounds uh, community and family practices, yes. Right? If I'm the patriarch of the family, the leader of the family, yes. it's only right that I have a will in a state, in a trust, or yes. some kind of a state plan, yes. For what happens to all the assets that we've built over the years? Who's going to carry on that torch? and maximize and optimize this as, as I get older and should want to retire yes. so I can enjoy some parts of my life with all the hard work and fruits and labors that, that I poured in. Yeah, I, I am the evidence of the absence of succession. Mm. Uh, I took over one of the leading churches in America, not black America, in America, uh, late Bishop Eddie Long. And they had to go through an interview process of 135 people because there was no succession plan. Mm. Uh, and so what it is that you're talking about in terms of business really impacts every area of the culture. Most businesses, and I'm preaching to the choir, uh, most black businesses never go beyond second generation. Uh, the children not interested, don't want to do it, right. don't value it. Weren't so, prepared. Weren't prepared or equipped, and so they squander it. Uh, and so legacy building, uh, that you practice is not just business, it is African, it is family. Mm -hmm. uh, it is a part of what it is that we're supposed to do for community and culture. Absolutely, I wanna uh, uh, spontaneously title this, um, how to beat the church trap Great. and how to beat the revolutionary trap. Yes. Because um, we are getting out organized in that manner. There's no way that um, our, our enemies um, of, of, of our community, yeah are constantly um, innovating, yeah. bringing new youthful energy and ideas to the table to yeah. oppress us, but we are, are, are uh, holding on to the mantles and torches of the same uh, decades and generations of, of leadership. 
and there yeah. not be some collaboration and, and not a and not a fight and tussle amongst it, but but really a collaboration and synergy in regards to how we um, succeed in, in in revolutionary activity without right. somebody having to go viral their way in or bully right. their way in or right. conflict their way in. But where there is really succession planning, we're gonna have that opportunity one day. As I'm 41, you're right. 50, right. and as we get older, we, we should definitely be the an example. Absolutely, of, 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 of pouring into the youth. Yeah, well, part of it, uh, Jay, is. Uh, a cultural historical lapse that uh, regrettably scholars have not um, executed pen to consider. Part of why we're in this predicament is because all of our all of our previous leaders never transitioned because they were assassinated. Mm. Uh, so we didn't <laughs> get to see it before. Yeah, they would never, we don't have a model of it. Right. You, you understand? And, so, and, and quite frankly, yeah. as a leader, because I know I had like a mortality complex for a minute. Right. Like, I, I honestly thought when I got serious about activism and, and revolutionary work, right. I, I just already chalked it up that they're going to either frame me or they're going to take me out. And right. I, I just already accepted that. That's, right? that's the model we have. That, right. And so... You gotta think about it. If you think that you're never gonna make it to be an 80, right? You probably don't got no plan, right? For when I go, because you probably right. thought you were gonna go in your 30. Oh, I'm 35 now. Okay, right. 40. Okay, I'm waiting. Right, right. And, and so I, I could see how you could stumble upon. A, a, I'm, I'm sure Minister Farrakhan might be even shocked, right? That he's uh, even 80 with all the revolutionary things he's did with the way that and and is still a clear undisputed champion. Mm-hmm. Facts. Uh, un- unwavering. Unwavering. Yes, I, I want to be clear <laughs> so nobody remixes my quote. I am not calling the minister into retirement. <laughs> I want to be very clear. Uh, what I am saying is that we've got to really prepare and equip uh, for those of us who are coming behind. Right, in the legacy plan. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So um agree with you. I have a question. You said the church has been viewed as uh, elitist and, yeah. and, and a few other things you, you mentioned. Are, are some of those things true? Yes. Yeah, it is uh, true um, because the, the black church, like the black community, is not myopic. Okay. Uh, it, is, um, it is varied in what it represents. Regrettably, you got most people who, when they think of the black church, they think of Greenleaf. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> but the, the average black church in America doesn't have but 50 members. Mm. The average black pastor in America is bivocational. Uh, so they're not whipping through in the bins. Uh, right. You know, so somebody's pastor is driving an Amazon truck right now. Right. You know what I mean? And somebody's first lady is, you know, running a beauty salon. Uh, and so we've got uh, a perspective of ministry that is uh, tainted because of mass media that doesn't give the evidence. And I want to say this is you cannot base leadership on exposure. And mm-hmm. what I mean by that is the greatest black pastors don't have mega churches. The greatest wow. black pastors don't have television broadcasts. They are doing the work. They're in the trenches. They're serving the community. And just because you don't know their name don't mean that they're there. Right. Uh, and so I want to give a salute to uh, those pastors and those ministries who are doing the work but never get the recognition. I would say the same for activism. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. Some of the greatest activists in our community don't got a blue check. Yeah. They're not even on Instagram. They're right. not even on stage. They're too busy doing the work to even be on social media. Right. They are literally in our neighborhoods uh, risking their lives, risking their freedom and doing the work. Uh, but but exposure in the social media age yeah. and, 
and uh, I don't know if virality is the word, but going viral, yeah, um, uh, definitely lends uh, our perspective as to the who's who or who should be in leadership, and doesn't always reflect the work. No, I I agree three thousand percent. I think that uh, the black church, in many ways, Karl Marx said that uh, the church is the opiate of oppressed people. Mm. Uh, is that we go to church to get a fix, an emotional high. Uh, but we don't get any vitamin supplements to go with it. Mm. Uh, so we shout. Not healed. Yeah, there we are. Uh, is that after you finish screaming, after you dance, have you showed me how to curate a budget? Mm. That, yeah, I know, Pastor, you asking for my 10%, but are you showing me a pathway to double my 90? Mm. So if that 10 belongs to God, the church has never told me what to do with the rest of the 90. Wow. And that's part of our responsibility. And I think that's where the gap is, is that if the only time I hear about economics in the church is the offering. It's good to give me. Yeah, then something me. is wrong with that. Uh, and so the church has to model it. On the other side of it, 93% of all HBCUs came out of the womb of a black church. Mm. Uh, and so we understand that we've been the incubator but now we got to turn back to those same churches and say, where's your tutoring program? Uh, how, how is it uh, that our kids uh, sing on the youth choir but can't conjugate verbs? Right. How on a usher board and you done made them take an abstinence vow, uh, but you haven't had them make a vow to home ownership. Mm. Uh, so it's got to be well-rounded right. so that we're not picking and choosing. Uh, what it is that, that we're in itself doing. could be a trap, right? Yes. Like the school systems teach us about, we always say photosynthesis and yeah. everything else, but not finances. Yeah. So how do we go through years of Sunday school, youth ministry, intern ministry, everything else, and people leave out of church financially illiterate? Uh, let's look at it. Um, I'm going to take a basic Sunday school story. The Lord told Noah to build the ark, right? Mm -hmm. Gave him the measurements. He didn't send no angel to help him. He didn't send no army to help him. But in doing it, Jay, Noah had to know something about engineering. Mm. In order for him to do it, he told him what were the resources that were necessary. Here it is, y'all not gonna like it, but never gave Noah the money to pay for it. Mm. He had to figure out how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> you Noah had to fund that thing. Yeah, he, he then had to mobilize a family that was not interested to help him build. Mm. And nowhere do we ever see Mrs. Noah pick up a hammer. Mm. Nowhere do the sons pick up a nail. The, does a, a wife pick up a nail? But the sons help to build it. They are building a business. And for all of you who are entrepreneurs, no one never knows whether it works until it rains. Wow. What is amazing is sometimes you have an idea for something. You have a concept for something, but you do not know the floatability of that idea until you're in a crisis. Mm. I told uh, the church yesterday, Jay, that in the pandemic, in the pandemic, you're going to love this, 131 people became billionaires. Jeez. In the pandemic, 131 became billionaires. Of them, you got Kanye, you got Rihanna, uh, you got uh, LeBron, you got uh, Tyler Perry. Our responsibility, yours and your lane, mine and my lane, is why all of the ones who became billionaires in our community did it out of entertainment. Mm. What is the business model that says for us, you can still amass this wealth 
without being on a stage. That's a fact. <laughs> that right. you can still do it. And I think that that's part of our responsibility is having uh, economy without notoriety. Mm. Uh, so whenever it is that I'm traveling in different spaces uh, and I'm in all different orbits and universes and I, and I hear for a nonprofit like the Legacy Center, like New Birth, if you've not given to either of those, please do that today. But if I hear, if I hear about a, a donation to any of these nonprofits and I hear it was an anonymous donor, I know it wasn't black hmm. immediately. Because if we give, we want a room named after us. Right. <laughs> we, we need a plaque up front. Can you move to the place of economy with anonymity? Mm. That I'm going to let my money speak for me that I ain't got to raise up the volume of who I am for the money to make it do what it do. Right. Silent businesses. Yeah. Silent moves. Yeah. So what uh, part um, are you and under your leadership, New Birth, um, playing into this kind of economic revolution yes. and, and kind of upgrade of, of, the, of the normal status quo of church, what we call it the church trap, right? Yeah. Where, where, where folks are going to church, they are getting maybe some spirit spiritually fed, yeah. but still going home broke. And they don't ha they don't have to and they have a plat you know so what is new birth doing that that is setting example revolutionizing yeah okay uh let me uh say this shameless promotion uh is uh, this weekend we are opening up the new black wall street in stonecrest georgia no matter where it is that you live if you are coming to atlanta you got to come to the black house and the black wall street if y'all don't do those Turn in your black card. You got two stops <laughs> you got to make. <laughs> you got to come to the black house after you leave here. Then you got to come to the new black Wall Street. This is the 100th anniversary of the Tulsa massacre. We're unveiling this weekend, wow. Jay. Uh, the new black Wall Street market is 100 black businesses under one roof with six restaurants. Uh, and so we're having to create an ecosystem. I came into a partnership with uh, an amazing uh, black businessman by the name of Bill Allen uh, and coming into agreement with him to do it. I told him one things that I cannot do is go into this venture and not set aside tithing in praxis. And what that means is 10% of all of the stores have got to be new birth owners. Mm. If they are not uh, prepared then I've got to take them through a battery of systems that equip them uh, to let them know how it is that you do it. So that's how it is that you have a store mm. in there. The second wave of that is outside of those 110 stores, I've got spaces for 40 stalls because some businesses, as you intimately know, I'm prepared for five days a week. Right. I'm prepared for seven days a week. So what happens if I just want to do weekends or I want to do on consignment? So I partner... I partner with you, Jay. Look, I'm at the church, but I need you to help me sell these T-shirts. Uh, give me a space over here to right. do it. Uh, so how it is that we do uh, what Kwanzaa teaches us in cooperative economics uh, and what that looks like. So that's one way that we're doing it. Second way uh, that we're doing in the pandemic, we have fed 800,000 black families mm. in 19 months. That's nearly a, a million. A, we on the road to a million. Uh, and so every week I'm giving out this food and it dawned on me, New Birth is the largest black land-owning church in America. And I'm having people pick up food. Y'all ain't gonna believe it, but I haven't been growing any. Mm. So, Controlling <laughs> I, I, the yeah, food. Yeah, I can't talk about revolution 
and we are not monitoring what it is that we eat, what it is that we consume, what it is that we grow. So we've uh, established uh, what we call the Garden of Eden. Mm. Uh, and it's one of my most exciting projects uh, because we're teaching young people how to do horticulture uh, and agriculture. So our elders who are from the real dirty South right. uh, are teaching them how to do it and how to move through it. Uh, the third Amazing. thing is I am trying to uh, move uh, our church to uh, be a solar farm, uh, which uh, helps us to safeguard our ecological footprint. Uh, it is going to lower uh, the utility bills of those uh, within the radius uh, of the church and about 100 people who live in close proximity will have no bill. Mm. Uh, and so what do you do now that you have that extra uh, discretionary income? And so we're moving in some unconventional ways to Innovative. try to make the impact. Yeah, that's awesome. Family, you hear that? This is, um, and you know, for me, I, I teach in the streets in the corner class. Yeah. It's inspired by Christ, right? Jesus taught in the streets, yeah. serving those least amongst us. This is real servant work in real life. When you talk about one, the new, this ain't a digital Black Wall Street. Right. Everybody done launched all kind of digital Black Wall Street, Black Wall Street theories, Black Wall Street programs. This is a physical market with over a hundred stores and several restaurants that we can visit right here in Black Mecca. And so. it's not church. So I gotta, I gotta underscore this. So in uh, the new Black Wall Street, we got a cigar bar. In the new Black Wall Street, we got a jazz club. Uh, in the new Black Wall Street, we got a winery. And I'm saying all of that to you because I didn't want y'all to think we were just selling holy oil and prayer cloths. <laughs> uh, but it is everything that represents uh, all of the nuance of black culture. That's awesome. So we got Black Wall Street here. Our church has fed nearly a million families throughout the pandemic. We running right? up on McDonald's. One one million souls. Man. <laughs> and has been innovative enough to also, I'm really big on land and agriculture yes. right now because yep. we talk about Black Wall Street and independence. And when you think about Black Wall Street starting in 1905 and building up to that historic community in 1921 that was, yep. that was devastated, it started with 40 acres of land. And if there was segregation going on and just 40 years after enslavement, before they built all the buildings, how was they feeding themselves? Right. So when O.W. Gurley got with J.B. Stafford and said, hey, let's, let's break up this 40 acres of land and sell to other black people, the first thing they had to do was farm and be able to feed themselves, That's right. drill for their own water to be able to sustain themselves. They couldn't go across town and do it. That's right. There was no Whole Foods to do it. No, that's so good. us controlling our own food is, is, is all part of revolutionary independence. I love and, it. And sovereignty. All right, so we got that. I want to get a framework for who my pastor is, who this man sitting in front of us is, and the kind of work that he's doing in real life, um, in ministry and in, 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 in activism and servitude. So let's now reverse engineer back to baby Jamal. All right. All right, so where was baby Jamal born? Uh, what was it like growing up, yeah. right? Let, let, let's walk through your journey. Okay, so I am originally from uh, Cambridge, Massachusetts. I uh, moved to uh, Baltimore in elementary school. Okay. And uh, I got as far as the 11th grade. And uh, in the 11th grade, I failed the 11th grade. I got to give some caveats uh, <laughs> to me failing the 11th grade. I failed the 11th grade at the gifted and talented high school. I failed the 11th grade at the same high school where my father and uncle are in the Hall of Fame. Gotcha. Uh, so uh, this is uh, the the manifestation of Jawanza Kanjufu's book, To Be Popular or Smart. 
Uh, so I had what it took. I just made the wrong decision. Gotcha. So when I failed the 11th grade, my father was one of the first class to uh, serve in the Peace Corps. Uh, so my dad sent me to live in uh, Liberia, West Africa, uh, for a year to get myself together. For those of you who don't know, Liberia is a country formed by ex-slaves. Mm. Uh, it is uh, one of two countries in Africa that would be Ethiopia and Liberia, the only two countries in Africa never been colonized. Uh, so that's where my father sent me to live. I uh, came wow. back uh, after doing a year. and uh, Which is after 11th grade? Yeah. Yeah, so I sent my, my last year of high school I spent in Liberia. Wow, I didn't know that. You didn't know that? I didn't know that. Yeah. Right. So I come back to uh, the States, and the old deacon from uh, my church was a Morehouse alumnus said uh, Morehouse has an early college program. Why don't you go back there for the summer? Why don't you go there for the summer uh, before you go back to Liberia? Because remember, I got to go do another year in order to graduate. Wow. So I'm supposed to be there for two years. So it's 11th grade over again. Yes, and, and then 12th. 12th grade. Gotcha. But I only go for 11th grade, come back for the summer. They send me down here to Morehouse College, early college program. And uh, at the closing ceremony of the early college program, the director of the program says to me, man, I see you next month. I said, you'll see me next month for what? <laughs> he said, for school. I said, oh, no, 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 I gotta go back. I got another year. He said, for what? I said, I failed the 11th grade. He said, man, your grades is higher than anybody here. Ain't no way in the world you're supposed to be in high school. This is a true story. So Dean Crawford from uh, Morehouse College, shout out to Dean Crawford. Then this is the power of HBCUs. Mm. Dean Crawford put me in his car uh, and uh, took me uh, to the community college here in Atlanta uh, for me to get my GED. Mm. And uh, Morehouse uh, let me in. I am the very first student that Morehouse ever let in with a GED. I've never taken the SATs in my life. Uh, so I take the GED and uh, go back to Baltimore, waiting on the results. So it's the dean himself. The dean himself took me. Pulled up. Uh, yeah, so he calls two days later um, and says, do you want to be here at Morehouse? I said, yeah, I want to be here. He said, can you get here in two days? A spot just opened. Mm. So I got uh, into Morehouse, long story short and uh, graduated from Morehouse. Uh, I was a international studies, political science, dual major, because I saw myself going into international law. Okay, let's pause for a second. I wanna yes. back up a little bit. Let's right. go earlier days, pre-high school, going into high school. Yeah. Um, uh, you grew up in the church? Oh yeah, my dad, I'm sorry, my dad is a pastor. Mm -hmm. uh, my grandfather's a pastor. I'm a third generation preacher. Okay. So yes, Legacy. that's very important. Yes. All right. Yes, I so, grew up okay. in the church. Hey, Peace Family Real Estate Pioneer, Jay Morrison, coming to you live from the Black House. Uh, why haven't you got your first of its kind video textbook, excuse me, 
interactive video textbook experience, the 12-step real estate crash course. This book will make you a real estate power player in real life with over six and a half hours of video lessons with 290 pages of real workbook experiences, tests, quizzes, assessments that give you the skill set, mindset, and formulas needed to dominate in real estate and be a power player in any part of the industry in real life. Homeowner, realtor, wholesale, landlord, flipper, developer, don't matter. You need this book. Your family needs this book. Go tap in. Click the link right now for your, for your interactive, first of its kind, video textbook experience in real life. Tap in. 12stepvideotextbook.com. Was that your aspiration to pastor? Never. Going through school? Everything you have heard about a preacher's kid, I was dead. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was all of those things. I'm breaking curfews, suspended, uh, stealing my father's car, crashing the car, sneaking girls in the house. I was the PK your mother warned you about. I'm friend. that guy. My, my yeah. best friend was a preacher's kid. We had oh, some yeah. fun. Oh, yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. We had yeah, some yeah. fun growing up. Yeah, so no, I... Uh, and that was in Baltimore. In Baltimore. Got yeah. you. Um, growing up through that, so you didn't aspire to, to be, be in church. No. Did you aspire for any corporate career? Was there a particular no, profession you aspired to No, to I, do? I always knew I wanted to be in civil rights. Okay. But not as a pastor. Okay. Uh, so... Um, you know, doing the work. My uh, first job out of school was with the NAACP. Mm. So I always knew I was going to work for black people. Always knew that this was my area. I just didn't see myself as a pastor. Gotcha. Yeah. So going up in Baltimore, coming through the church, PK, yeah. pastor's yes. kid. Yes. Um, did you ever get sucked in or enticed or entangled by the corner trap? So this is going to, this is part of my story is um, so Baltimore uh, for those of you all who don't know is uh, in the crack era is Brooklyn and then is Baltimore period right no matter what nobody else tell you Miami is cocaine but in the crack era it's Brooklyn Baltimore Philly Chicago Cleveland LA mm. in no particular order but those are uh, yeah. The stalwarts. Uh, and so all of my friends, Jay, were in the game. And amazingly, uh, none of them would let me in. <laughs> so, this is a true story. Uh, they, they would protect me with their life. You was boxed out of the trap. Yeah, no. So I, I told He's at the gate. He's in the yeah, back yeah, of the yeah. Yeah. So one of the most life-altering uh, experiences I had was at Morehouse. I'm at uh, Morehouse, and uh, we had something called the DMV Club. Uh, that's, uh, those of y'all who don't know, D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. And uh, I'm a struggling college student, and I don't have money to get home. And uh, so I link up with some guys from D.C. and Baltimore. Like, yo, can I ride with y'all back home? Like, yeah. This is uh, my sophomore year. So... That Tuesday, we're supposed to leave Tuesday after class to go home for Thanksgiving. I get to the car with all of my stuff to go home for the weekend. I get to the car. There's another guy there getting ready to get in the car with us. And he's like, who's this? I was like, oh, no, that's Jamal. He's cool. said, no, he, he can't ride with us. Mm. So I was like, bruh, I don't know this guy. But y'all can't lock me out over this guy. Right. I got my gas money. I'm, I'm oh, ready man. to go. They're like, nah, he ain't riding with us. They put me out. Don't let me ride home with him. I'm mad. 
I'm in the cafeteria with all the Africans and the orphans and the Indians. There ain't nobody left on campus for Thanksgiving. And uh, so I spend that weekend here in Atlanta on Morehouse campus. That Monday, um, this is this is 91, let me see, this is 91. That Monday, we got a uh, emergency alert for everybody to come to the chapel. Mm. They have an emergency convocation. And in the convocation, they announce uh, the names of the guys, I ain't gonna say their name, but the names of the guys coming through North Carolina got pulled over. And they had two bricks in the trunk. Mm. And this 91, 92 is when you got mandatory minimums. Mm. All of them went to jail. Every person who was in that car went to jail for four years. Mm. And I didn't make it, I didn't get in the car. I, I broke down crying in the assembly. I know you did. Knowing my whole life could have been altered. Uh, but part of uh, my testimony on the grace of God is, um, I got to say this, is that people in the game saw my gift uh, and covered me. Mm. Uh, even when it wasn't even necessarily about selling or distributing or possessing, they wouldn't even let me in. <laughs> you know, you got what I'm saying? I'm not a preacher. I'm not leading no march right. or nothing. But them guys. You're a teenage kid. I'm a teenage kid. Uh, and those guys really covered me. Uh, and kept me kept me out of harm's way, and so shout out to everybody in Baltimore, Murphy Homes. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome, awesome. All mm -hmm. right, so cool. So you graduate, and you yeah. said, oh yes. Yep, yep, so I'm getting ready to graduate yep. again. This is a HBCU story from the '90s. Is one no email alerts? You had to go into uh, you had to go into administration. They have a list of people who are graduating. And Jay, I'm not on the list. I don't know what's wrong. I'm not on the list. I'm running because my parents are supposed to come the next week for graduation, maybe two weeks out for graduation. And uh, my advisor says you can't graduate because you're international studies major and you're not proficient in any foreign language. Mm. You've just been hanging out. <laughs> and you ain't got enough language credits. You ain't international enough. You ain't international enough. So I'm like, man, I got to get out of here. My parents don't want to hear that. What do I do? So uh, she said, my only other option if I wasn't going to do languages is to do study abroad. Mm. She give me the list, Jay. I go over the list for study abroad. And the only country on the list for study abroad that does not require language is South Africa. Wow. So I sign up. I move to South Africa. And I am Nelson Mandela's first intern. Wow. That's how God's hand has just- Forced you down there. It forced me down. It was nowhere on my thing. I'm there working uh, with the youth director at ANC. Uh, this is uh, during the year of his election. And I'm right there on the front line. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. So, you, so how long you spend there in South Africa? A year. A year. Yeah, I did a year. And then I came back and graduated. Wow. Yes, yeah, so I was in Liberia, South Africa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No yeah. wonder why you black, black. Oh, yeah. listen, I'm telling <laughs> and you. Baltimore. Yeah, and Liberia, Baltimore. Liberia, Baltimore, South Africa. Yeah. You black, black. Oh, yeah. And Atlanta. And Atlanta. Jeez. So I get out of uh, 
uh, Morehouse. I finally graduated after five years, and uh, I, I barely graduated. All I can say is I graduated. No honors. <laughs> I just graduated. Not magna cum laude. Thank you, Lordy. I graduated. <laughs> and I didn't have enough, Jay. Uh, I didn't have good enough grades to go where I wanted to go. Remember, I'm pre-law. Mm. So I hear about Bernice King, who's here in Atlanta, who at the time had just graduated from Emory, and she created a program. She forced Emory to create a program for her to do her law school and seminary. Mm. So I get into Duke University. That's a whole nother story. I got into Duke University because of my sister. My sister was at Duke as their black poster child. My sister got a bachelor's, a master's, and a PhD at Duke. Wow. So I didn't have the grades to get in. My sister went to that admissions office and said, can y'all let my brother in? So shout out to my sister. So all I kind of grace. Yeah, yeah, all kind of grace. So I get into Duke for uh, a dual degree in law and seminary because I know I'm supposed to preach, mm -hmm. but I don't see myself as a pastor. So gotcha. I see myself following Reverend Jesse Jackson, Reverend Al Sharpton, who are preachers but not pastors. That's the path I see myself on. Mm. Jay, I get into, you would appreciate this, I get into real estate law. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> that math, that the teacher always tell you you're going to need math when you grow up. I didn't believe her. Right. <laughs> I'm lost. I walk across uh, the campus and drop out of the law school and just do seminary. Mm. And then my life just takes a whole nother whirlwind of its own. Wow. Yeah. So our take us from getting through seminary school at some point, yes. I assume. So I get out of the seminary, my second year of seminary, I become the national youth director at NAACP. Wow. So I'm the, I have a full-time job while I am a full-time student. Hmm. So I'm at uh, Duke. So, so you've been on the front lines. Oh, you, yeah, you, yeah, you, I've you, been here. Yeah. I uh, do Duke Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and I'm traveling around the country for the NAACP Friday through Monday. Hmm. Uh, I come out of that. I do that for six years. Um and uh, Kwasim Fume was my mentor. And at the time, show you how life goes, um, everybody assumed Al Gore was gonna become the president, all right? And uh, so it was talks that Mfume would become Secretary of HUD, uh, housing, uh, housing urban development. Um, and as we now know from history, George W. Bush becomes president, mm -hmm. and Infome is short out of a job in terms of further aspirations. Right. So it's in that moment uh, that something critical happens um, that I think uh, those of you who's escaped the trap will appreciate. Infome gets laryngitis at our NAACP convention and asks me to speak on his behalf give the keynote address. I'm a 26-year-old kid. Mm. That's the first time I get national news. I'm on the front page of USA Today. Wow. 26 years old. And uh, I'll never forget that day. I'm coming off the stage. I give Jay what I think is the speech of my life. I done been catapulted. I right. done made it. I 
can walk down the steps of the stage, there's thousands of people there, chilling like, man, who is this guy? He got next. I get to the bottom of the stage, Dick Gregory, who I never met a day in my life, grabs me by my collar and throws me up against the wall. I've never met him a day in my life. Rest in peace, Dick Gregory. He says, um, son, I don't know you, but you don't belong here. Wow. I said, I said, what do you mean? So I'm thinking he having a senior moment. He got an episode. <laughs> he said, uh, when I was growing up, when black people were in trouble, they call on Jesus and the NAACP. He said, your generation don't call on either. Mm. He, he said, Dick Gregory looked me in my eye and said, brother, I don't even go to church, but that's where you belong. You're supposed to be a pastor. Dick Gregory called me into the pastorate. Dang. Yeah, it's a true story. Dick Gregory. Yeah, so after that moment, I can't, I can't even sleep. God used Dick Gregory to God call you God used Dick Gregory to bring the church. <laughs> and let me say as an aside. Rest in power. Yeah, I started uh, a church in uh, Baltimore called Empowerment Temple based off of the words that Dick Gregory gave me mm. to empower the people that they would be able to see God and be socially active. And uh, Dick Gregory, to his credit and to his integrity, Dick Gregory came my first Sunday that I pastored. Mm. And his family tell you he was not a church-going guy. Wow. Yeah. I had the, Ernestine and I had the luxury of uh, seeing him perform at a comedy show before he passed here wow. in Atlanta. We sat front, a small little venue. Yeah. We sat front row and got to watch Dick Gregory up to my, about five feet from me just yeah. go in on stage. That was yeah. an amazing experience. Yeah. He called you in the ministry. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So you then go on a trajectory to Yeah, I, so church? I started a church in a nightclub. Uh, so I'm telling you, my whole life is a movie on the Lifetime channel. I started a, I start a, uh, a uh, church in a nightclub called the Baltimore Grand. I've heard of Baltimore Grand. Oh, yeah, I know it. Uh, so my best friend, brother, owned the club and uh, said that I could use it on Sundays because he don't have nothing on Sunday morning. We just had to come in early Sunday to clean it up. So every Sunday morning we had to go in there and move the liquor bottles, the used condoms, <laughs> the weed wrappers. But everybody knew where the club was. Right. Um, so we, it, it wasn't heavy lifting. And I started a church with 43 people, um, primarily people who I grew up with. And uh, within a year I had 2,500. Mm. And then it just began to grow and the mushroom and the boom and the blossom and uh, – yeah. So that explains it now. Yeah. So so that started the ministry, but you still had the spirit and the, and, and the root of the calling was empowerment of yeah. people, social activism. Yeah, so our prongs was empowering people socially, spiritually, culturally, educationally, and economically. Mm. Those were the prongs that the church What I lived by. On. Yeah. And then, yeah. I'm, then I met you 2015. Yes. During Freddie Gray. Now, how did Freddie Gray, this guy... I know he calling himself the street corner prophet. I met him. He wasn't on no street corner. He's in the ballroom of a hotel. <laughs> One of my members said, you've got to come here, this guy. I came and sat in the back. You had a white chalkboard. Of course. Yeah. And you, 
you was with me till you started going over numbers. <laughs> when you started doing numbers, you talking about one trillion dollars. I was like, ah, I got no idea what this guy's talking about. Uh, but that's uh, where I met uh, Brother Jay, and we've been walking alongside ever since. Absolutely. So this is why it's so amazing, right, how to be the trap, while we start with who you are today. Yes. And then reverse engineer and welcome yeah. to that story. Yeah. Now it makes sense for everything we heard in the yeah. first several minutes of the episode. Yeah. Why you're doing what you're doing here at New Birth. Why the Black Wall Street Market. Why feeding nearly a million families. And, and why being a, a, a church revolutionary. Right? Yeah. Um, what Dick Gregory calls you in the ministry. It's no yeah. wonder why you're challenging the church. Oh, yeah. Right? Yes. Um, so, family, we got, uh, we're going to hop into our trap trans, uh, trap analysis. I like to say trap translation, trap analysis uh, with Dr. Uh, Jamal H. Bryant. So, so Doc um, and, and family who's listening and watching, um, Dr. Bryant has been able to uh, be blessed with covering to avoid the corner trap, right? Even if he was knocking at the door, yeah. had covering of that, um, totally had purpose and avoided the corporate trap and was able to um, enhance the church trap, really revitalize the church trap from a revolutionary mindset and also um i would say uh be revolutionary in the culture trap yeah right you said a new trend for how activism moves and a new trend for how a, a minister or a leader moves i think you yes. kind of created a a real lane there um for yourself so you were able to really blow through and beat these traps and i want to commend you for thank you brother leading by example nah, in, i appreciate in, in, in real life all right, Pastor, um, let's talk about your trap transition. Yeah. Um, was there an aha moment, um, I guess other than a Dick Gregory moment, yeah. um, along your way where you knew, like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing? Or even if it was later on as you got to ministry in Baltimore, was there an aha moment that kind of elevated you, like, you know, where you had revelation, epiphany, yeah. where you knew that um, I'm supposed to be on a certain trajectory or path? It is uh, my aha moment is uh, really even not about ministry, but in terms of what is my role and responsibility in terms of economy. Mm. Um, so I want to share uh, with uh, your audience uh, my byline story of uh, my connection to you and relationship to you and how that aha moment has manifested. 1982, 1982, Bob Johnson, owner, founder of BET, calls my father and asks him to be his partner for BET. Hmm. And uh, it's 1982. My father refuses and says black people don't watch cable television. Wow. He uses that money, Jay that was needed for the upfront capital investment. He uses that money and buys a Mercedes. Mm. Fast forward to 19... Wait, so instead of buying a cable TV network, he bought a car? Yes. Gotcha. Culture trap. Culture trap. Second time, God gives him an open door. My parents live in Texas. My dad is chairman of the board of Paul Quinn College. And a guy comes, knocks on the door. Says, uh, Dr. Bryant, I'm getting ready to publicly trade this company. 
but I need a minority on the board for us to go through FCC regulation. But in order for you to be a bo on the board, you got to be an investor. My dad says to him, no, nah, I ain't investing in that. Nobody is going to get on a plane where there's no seat assignments, where the flight attendants got on khakis. Southwest. <laughs> Southwest Airlines. This is 1992. It's the second time he done missed the family being a billionaire. <laughs> <laughs> you done missed two billions. Oh, no, I got three. <laughs> okay. Then the third, my dad is Bishop of West Africa. Mm. And a company comes to him, says they want to buy some of that land in, again, Liberia. It's some little church that ain't even the size of this room. Nah, we can't sell this land for no company. That company you may know now as Goodyear Tires, <laughs> whose main now plant is in Liberia. And they were looking for where to build the headquarters. Mm. So three distinctive times, Dang. our family was on line for a billionaire runway and it got dismantled because of the trap i say that to say that when we talk about the trap i don't want you all to think just in terms of drugs nor do i want you to think just in terms of poverty but i need you to think of the trap in terms of mind frame mm. in terms of mentality both of my parents have doctor degrees from boston university so highly educated people, but didn't know how to make shrewd decisions that would shift the trajectory of my life. Now, I don't know, I'm telling y'all transparently, I don't know if my parents had become billionaires if I'd be sitting in this chair talking to Jack. <laughs> I'm telling y'all, real. I don't know if God could have trusted me to do ministry. That's a fact. <laughs> yeah, I, I would have been at the equestrian center right now. Uh, and so, you know, everything happens for a reason. But I say that to say uh, that when you're curating generational wealth, you have to realize every decision you make is going to impact your children and your grandchildren. So now I am more open and accessible to opportunities. So, yeah, those experiences are great. Sometimes, um, and I've seen this through this podcast experience, speaking of different just entrepreneurs and just people that a lot of times the things we miss out on really built us up for something later, always actually, not even sometimes. And I think not only did it help you come into ministry and your calling, because likely that, that billion could have threw you off, but yeah. also um, now in your wisdom and now fulfilled your calling as you as a pastor and as an author and as a revolutionary and have built all these amazing relationships with folks like myself and, and others, you now could see the angles and not be intimidated by the angles right. and, and have and have a mind frame that's not trapped. Yeah. I think one of our first conversations when our office was in Buckhead was about, hey, we got what, 187 acres of land at the church? Right. And what could we do with it? Right. How can we optimize it? Right. Hence right. now the Black Wall Street Mall and yep. solar farming and all that. You think so innovatively because you're not scared of new ideas. I'm scared of missing ideas. Mm. That's trap <laughs> bar. That's I'm a trap bar. Yeah, I'm scared of missing ideas. That I'm 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 not 
running from challenges, I'm chasing after them. Mm. Uh, and so I, I am drawn to people who want to innovate change. Right. Uh, because I think that's where the commerce is. Right. You're not, you don't get nervous around no. that. You don't, oh, you're doing a crowdfunding. You're doing something no. new and innovative. That does, those things excite because you. Because in the my lane, that's what requires faith. Mm. Faith is not synonymous with safe. Wow. <laughs> Trap bar. Yeah. Can, you know, can, can I do it with no guarantee? Right. Yeah, that, that's where the Southwest Airlines wasn't guaranteed. Listen, BT wasn't guaranteed. BT wasn't a guarantee. It yeah. could have flopped. Your dad could have not bought the bins, yeah. invested with Bob Dodson and BT, yes. and it could have flopped. He could have lost the bins money. Yeah. Or it could have been what BT is. Listen, and this studio would look a little bit different. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Let me hold some. <laughs> yeah, this would be BT South right now. Right. Yeah. That's amazing, man. Faith is not synonymous with safe. Yeah. It's actually probably more of an antonym, it's more of an opposite of safe. Yeah. Because the faith is something that's unseen. If, if, you, know the, if you know the result, faith is not necessary. Mm. Yeah, I, I got to believe them for what I don't know. That's amazing. Yeah. All right, so now it's time to put you in a trap seat. All right. All right, yep. that's the hot seat. You're yep. in a trap. Yep. And so in the trap seat, we got a segment called um, Trap Blown. We blow the trap up. All right. And so one of the first things I want to um, ask you is um, what is an amazing, mind-blowing moment, experience, relationship you've had, something you've done, accomplished somewhere you've been that has just blown your mind? You just can't even believe it. Oh, snap, I'm here. Um, yeah. Any moment like that in your life? Yeah. I uh, went uh, about uh, four years ago to Dubai and... Um, was a, a guest of the Crown Prince. Mm. And Dubai is the very first place in my life I felt broke. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Jay, in Dubai, for those of y'all who haven't been, they got S500 AMGs out of taxi cabs. Uh, the people there have such uh, flagrant wealth in Abu Dhabi that when they run out of gas, they just leave the car there. You know, so they got an impound just of cars that have been abandoned, not because they stolen, not because they broke down. They treat them like bikes. You know, <laughs> we used to drive down right, the street. little pay scooter. Or yeah, uh, and uh, it made me th look at wealth different, and it made me realize in my aha moment that Negroes want to be rich. Mm. They don't want to be wealthy. You know what I mean? Uh, a few years ago, Buster Rhymes had a song, Arab Money. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, and then with Arab Money, we don't even know what that looks like. We don't have a context of what that looks like. You, you know what I mean? That every, uh, the, the king in Dubai, I'm going to make up a number, has 23 sons. All of them got mansions. Right. You know what I mean? Now, other 23... 15 of them is what Negroes are called outside kids. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> it ain't they even. Ain't, they ain't doing nothing yeah, for yeah, No, no, no. I'm saying that ain't them oh, from the oh, mama. Oh, right, from the mama, right. Yeah, yeah. But if you related, you still living like this. Right. Uh, and it made me look at what wealth really is and uh, how it is uh, that you look at it as what some people see as a ceiling for other people's is just a roof. Mm. Uh, and so I wanted to change my mindset. George Frazier 
said if you uh, hang out with five broke people, you're going to be the sixth one. Uh, so I had to change my circle of environment because I didn't want to be preacher rich. Mm. You know I, mean? <laughs> I don't want to be preacher I, yeah, rich. Yeah, I don't want to be Negro rich. I, I want to uh, be wealthy enough to uh, have impact in different nations, mm. different bank accounts. You got to ask yourself, uh, for the why is it that Negroes only vacation in July and August? Because mm. that's when it is that the plantation was the hottest and it was the in-between the crops. So we've adopted that. When mm. is all of the family reunions? Yeah. When do all the black people on your job take off? We offer the 4th of July week, <laughs> then we take off Labor Day week. We don't know, I'm just speaking in mass, of course there's exceptions to the rule, you don't know Negroes vacationing in January. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? The, the tropics is warm all year. Right. <laughs> but we act like we all going to Jamaica in July. Right. <laughs> yeah, white people are going in the off season. When it's cheaper, it's less people there, it's less opportunities. We going when the whole plane crowded. Right. Everybody on the plane got to knock off Louis bag and flip-flops. <laughs> you can't even get a seat in there because that's in our bulk season. I wanted to change what is the mind frame mm. of how it is that not how just how we work, but how we relax. Mm. Not just how we live, but how many houses do I live in? Not what kind of car do I lease? What kind of car do I own? And here's the catch. And then give away. I want us to be in that kind of place of that we don't talk about in wealth creation right. of what does it mean to be responsibly decadent? Mm. Uh, <laughs> what mm. does it mean to be socially opulent? Then, mm. you know, I, uh, James Baldwin has something called survivor's guilt. Uh, survivor's guilt only affi- afflicts successful black people that I feel bad about my achievement, that I gotta hide what it is that I've accomplished because the rest of my family ain't got it. Right. You got me? I want us to live in a place of responsible decadence that can say, Jay, I'm driving this and I'm not ashamed of it. Why? Because of what I do. Uh, Al Sharpton, my mentor, said something to me that messed me up. A couple of years ago, known preacher got a Bentley. And let me say, for the Baltimore people getting ready to blow up my spot, I had a Bentley. All right, <laughs> and uh, Reverend Sharpton said something to me that changed my whole life. He said, Jamal, I don't care if a preacher got a Bentley. What I care about is where does he drive it to? Mm. Will he drive it to the march? Will he drive it to City Hall? Said, my issue is the preacher in the Bentley that drives just to the gated community and won't come out. Mm. He ain't outside. Listen. And that freed my level of thinking. Uh, and so we don't know anything <clears throat> about responsible decadence. Black people like nice stuff. Facts. Yeah, for you to be in the game don't mean that you got to use black soap and burn incense. You can be in the game and have a full spa day at the Intercontinental. And that don't make me any less revolutionary. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but where is that Terry McMillan balancing act? of knowing what that looks like. And I I want us to be able to know it's not either or. Mm. For you to be conscious is not a vow of poverty. Right. Uh, For you to be responsible to your people, that you don't get extra credit 
when your children don't have a will in an estate. Right, for being extra broke. Yeah, for being <laughs> extra broke. Uh, and I, I, I think that our generation has a responsibility uh, to be responsible to model that you can have both. Right. Yeah. yeah, I think a lot of times we always say either or as yeah. opposed to in addition to. In addition to. Right? Yeah. Why can't we have both? Yeah. And, and, and more in abundance. So, all right. So, I love that. Boom. Trap, trap blown. Blowing our mind there. And also give me, um, this is where you got to blow yourself up a little bit. All right. So, what is one experience uh, in your life that is re regrettable, that is embarrassing, yeah. that is even shameful or something? You say, you know what? If I could have that decision back, if I could yeah. have that moment back, give me that one back. I, that, that wasn't it, Jamal. Yeah. I, uh, I've been divorced now for 12 years. And uh, before I got divorced, uh, my ex-wife and I were going through a, a rough time. And I bought her a, built her a very lavish residence. Okay. <laughs> Opulence. <laughs> yes. And uh, we had moved into it. Um, I, I, I want to say we went in it a month before I got served divorce papers. Mm. And so a month later, Jay, I'm sleeping on the couch in my parents' house. And I woke up that next morning saying, how do I have a million dollar house and I'm sleeping on a couch? And all of my equity, all of my assets, all of my investments, all of my savings was in that. And I had nothing to live. Mm. I had nothing to rebuild on. Uh, and it changed my level of thinking on how did I squander with no backup plan. Mm. So nothing was wrong with the house. I need y'all to hear my heart. Nothing was wrong with the house. But if the house is all you have, you don't have nothing. Mm. Yeah. If the car is all you got, right. then you don't have anything. So it's great to floss. All, all my people come, oh man, you got this? You know, so we hear these statements on black people on average are two paychecks away. Yep. I was a check and a half. Right. You know what I mean? So m once that is moved out the equation, can you still sustain? Can you still function? And I couldn't. So I, um, uh, one of my mentors, Bishop Ingram, said something to me years ago that I never took hold to. He said to me, a business principle, don't let your PR outweigh your production. Mm. And so a lot of people who, like me, have the advertisement but don't got nothing in stock. Right. <laughs> so right. it's like, me and you leaving here, you eating healthy. Me and you leaving here and going to Kentucky Fried Chicken, they saying they out of chicken. Right. But that's the thing that I advertise. Chicken all day. Yeah. Now, they got some mashed potatoes. Right. But ain't nobody going there just to get sides. Right. And I had put all of what I had earned, saved, on display. and on display mm. and had nothing under the cover. That is the pure definition of the culture trap. Blow up. Where we put it all out and then a lot of times we think well I can always make it right back right yeah. I can get it next week I got a play coming you can't and I did the same thing yeah I was making 70,000 to 130,000 a month 
in real estate in right. the mid 2000s before the crash. And so I was spending it as fluently as I wanted to because my operation you was clicking so much. Yeah. I never knew that it could come to a direct halt. And now the cat. That's then, what happened to a lot of people in this pandemic. That's what happened to a lot of people in this pandemic. People found out what your job thinks about you for the very first time. Mm -hmm. You were in fact typecast as non-essential. Mm. Oh, you don't need to come in today. We got it. We'll figure it out. Disposable. Yeah, yeah. To to have that wake up chat. Having you is a luxury. Listen. <laughs> yeah. So that. Uh, it's a wake-up call for right. a lot of people. So a lot of times we, 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 we overpay on vacations, overpaying in our cars, overpaying and overspending in our lifestyles with the anticipation that our future earned revenue, future investments, future income is what's going to sustain us should it be. And it won't. It will not, sir. You find yourself on the couch with a million-dollar home. Listen. <laughs> yeah, true story. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. And so I'd like to go to our last segment of the trap sheet, which is um, our trap cheat sheet. All right. And a trap cheat sheet is if, if, if you could speak to a you know, young entrepreneur, a young community member, a young minister, or someone even looking to get into to revolutionary ministry as well, or to your younger self or someone up and coming, what is a message, that you, or, or even someone with this particular culture trap? Yeah. Uh, what is the message that you would give them in regards Easy. to a cheat sheet to Easy. avoid that trap? The cheat sheet, I'm getting ready to put you on game. Here it is. Okay, here it is. Is find a remote control mentor. Mm. A remote control mentor is a mentor whose number you don't have, who you do not have access to, but whose life you can watch, stalk, model, emulate, and replicate. So people need to know this. My remote control mentor is Diddy because his money does not come from music, but his name does. So he has mm. built an entire Trap fortune. Yeah, he has Trap built bar. an entire fortune. Here it is on something that is not in alignment with his gift. Mm. He has no idea how to make vodka. He has no idea how it is that you operate in those tentacles. An amazing thing that blew my mind. Here it is, this is a, a cheat sheet for those of y'all who grew up in public school. You writing this on the post-it in the smallest little thing as possible. I, before the pandemic, go to the movies every week. Until Jay, I found something out that messed me up. The movies make their money from concessions and not from movies. Mm. The movies, I need y'all to hear this, is the largest candy store in America. It is where most people buy their candy is now at the movie theater. Mm. The movies, here it is, only make up 30% of the income. Wow. What you get at the stand the is markup. where they get the revenue. So the fight is not about MGM. The fight is will it be Coca-Cola or Pepsi? I am telling you, move the shells. Mm. so that people don't really know where your money comes from. Mm. They think it's from what's on the screen, but the reality is what's at the glass table. And so change the game and give <laughs> trap <laughs> bars. <laughs> yeah, change the game and get money from a misdirected source mm. that people are looking one way, but your money is coming from somewhere else. And that's amazing. And the Diddy example is perfect. Like he made his name through music. You know him as Diddy, as yes. Love, as P. Diddy from music. 
but the leverage of his name and the relationships he's yes. built and his brand power. He has not produced an album in 15 years. Wow. In 15 years. Diddy is the largest party promoter in American history. So he got you in the party, watch this, and never sold you a record. He sold you bottle service. Concession. Because that's where the money is. Got yeah. you bopping to the beat. Yeah. They're they not making the hand. club owner will tell you the money is not made at the door. It's that bottle service. That's a fact. So now he don't have to buy out the bar mm. when he owns what they are stocking on the shelf. So it's pimping at a whole nother level. <laughs> yeah. In real life, yeah. we appreciate that. So Pastor Bryant, please yes. tell everyone where they can follow you yeah. or anything you got up and coming, the Black Wall Street. Yeah. I birth, desperately need that. you all to come to Black Wall Street. Uh, we will be uh, open this weekend. I don't know what weekend you're watching it, but whatever weekend you're watching it, we are open. I mm -hmm. uh, ask, <laughs> ask that you will please uh, come out, uh, hang out with us, support our black vendors, uh, let's enlarge the ecosystem. Uh, and then after that, for all the money that you spent at Black Wall Street, come to New Birth Missionary Baptist Church and pray for forgiveness <laughs> that you spent more than what you saved. Is there a website or yes, address uh, that you can follow Black Wall Street? Yes, uh, newblackwallstreetmarket.org, newblackwallstreetmarket.org, and uh, newbirth.org. Awesome. Where can they follow you? I am on all social media, Jamal H. Bryant. If you don't see the blue check, then it ain't me. Uh. There you yeah. go. Appreciate you, Thank my, you, my brother, Love my you, pastor. Absolutely. Love you too so much. Family, um, this has been another great episode of How to Beat the Trap. Listen, uh, Pastor Bryant just locked in and dropped some trap gems. And he was he was smoothing through the trap at first, then at the end he just burnt it down. <laughs> right. So you guys um, thank you all for subscribing. Make sure you share this podcast. There's all kinds of words in here on how to beat the culture trap, how to be a revolutionary, how to beat the church trap, right? How to beat the corporate trap, all that you can get in this episode. Make sure you subscribe and share, and I will see you next time on the next episode of How to Beat the Trap in Real Life. Hey, Peace Family, it's Jay Morrison, co-founder of the Legacy Center here in Atlanta, Georgia. And I wanna invite you all to be a virtual member of our building, our Class A office space, also known as the Black House. From anywhere in the world, you can house your business here in Atlanta, Georgia, and have your virtual address be our address. Get your own suite number. You also can get our virtual notary services, our virtual receptionist services, have a telephone line for your team, and get access to our meeting rooms, conference rooms, and get one day per month to actually visit our building and house your business here in real life. Family, this opportunity is just $40 per month or $300 for the year, super discount for you to be able to have a class A office space house your business address two miles from Tyler Perry studio five minutes from the world's busiest airport right here in amazing Atlanta Georgia at LegacyCenter.com